everyone! Welcome to another episode of A-Minder. My name is Kate, and I'll be your host for this episode. Today we'll be focusing on everything Tau-related in 12 papers published in August 2021, including aspects of Tau pathology and exploring potential therapeutics targeting Tau in Alzheimer's disease. I'll be right back after an introduction from Sarah. Welcome to A-Minder! a podcast where we summarize the latest publications on Alzheimer's disease for you, so you can spend more time doing awesome research. For every month, you'll find a series of episodes by theme, and each comes with a bibliography. Whether you're in the lab, on the bus, or cooking your meal, we hope you find this podcast useful and accessible. Okay, welcome back everyone. Like I mentioned before the break, I'm Kate, and I very recently joined the A-Minder team, so I'm excited to be hosting this episode for you today. For a brief introduction about myself, I am a fourth-year PhD candidate in cellular and molecular biology at the University of Michigan, and I study how post-translational modifications regulate chaperone proteins and protein aggregation in a family of inherited neurodegenerative diseases called polyglutamine expansion diseases. I mostly work with models of two diseases in this family, Huntington's disease, which you may have heard of before, and spinocerebellar ataxia type 3, or Mikado-Joseph disease. Prior to joining my PhD lab, I've worked on projects related to tau in Alzheimer's disease and other tauopathies. So going forward, you're likely to hear me on A-Minder hosting episodes on tau and topics related to my PhD work, like proteostasis and autophagy. With that, Let's get back to today's episode. Today I'll be talking to you all about papers focused on tau pathology and treatments targeting tau in Alzheimer's disease. And, just to get this out of the way, I'll be referring to Alzheimer's disease as AD from here on out. If you're not already familiar, tau is a protein that is highly expressed throughout the central nervous system, and its main job is to support the structure of axons by stabilizing microtubules. An important characteristic of tau is that it has many sites available for phosphorylation. And in the brains of AD patients, tau is found to be hyperphosphorylated, which disrupts its normal functions and allows it to aggregate into paired helical filaments. In AD and other diseases, tau is thought to be able to be secreted by cells and even spread from cell to cell in a similar manner to prions. So, in this episode... I'll be covering papers that touch on these processes in AD, focusing first on papers that describe mechanisms of tau pathology, and then on papers that describe potential therapies targeting tau. Before we get started, I just want to jump in with a quick note. All of the papers I'll cover today have been published in peer-reviewed journals, but I haven't checked them for quality myself. So, if you hear something that piques your interest, or you want to learn about one of these studies in more detail, definitely take the time to explore them for yourself by checking out the free bibliography linked in this episode's notes, or by visiting our website. All of the papers I cover today will appear in our bibliography by number in the order that I mention them. Each month we cover a variety of topics in AD research, but even if we can't cover all of the literature in an episode, We still do the legwork for you by curating and publishing those papers in our bibliographies, too. So, if you're interested in a topic that maybe we haven't yet made an episode about, 
check out our full list of bibliographies on our website. Lastly, we here at Aminder would like to thank the Canadian Consortium on Neurodegeneration in Aging for their financial support. Their funding helps us offset costs related to equipment expenses, subscriptions to a podcast hosting platform, and more. You will hear more about the CCNA and what they do throughout our episodes, and we will make note of any studies they've funded as we cover them. Since we have quite a few more papers that focus on tau pathology in AD, this first part will be split into two sections. The first six papers I'll discuss focus primarily on post-translational modifications of tau, with an emphasis on kinases and tau hyperphosphorylation. But we'll also touch on neuroinflammation and environmental toxins in the context of tau pathology, so there should be a bit of something for everyone here. Our first paper is titled Dysregulated Protein Phosphorylation, a Determining Condition in the Continuum of Brain Aging and Alzheimer's Disease. This paper was published in the journal Brain Pathology by first author Ferrer and last author Santa Maria out of the University of Barcelona and the Universidad Pública de Navarra. Like I discussed in the introduction, you may already know that tau hyperphosphorylation is well studied in the context of AD and is an important first step for the formation of neurofibrillary tangles. But have you ever wondered when during the aging process this starts, or how it might progress in AD patients compared to healthy controls? This is the main question the authors address in this study. They took samples from the entorhinal and frontal cortices of patient brains classified as Brock stages 1 to 2, 3 to 4, 5 to 6, or healthy controls, and used mass spectrometry to identify dysregulated phosphorylated proteins. Perhaps not surprisingly, they found that these proteins are mainly involved in maintaining cell structure, transport, or our kinases themselves. Getting back to our timeline, based on the author's results, it seems that abnormal phosphorylation starts early, during stages 1 and 2, for both healthy age controls and those with sporadic AD, but activity is highest during stages 3 to 4, which is around the time that some patients will be diagnosed with mild cognitive impairment before progressing to dementia. The authors reason that, besides adding to our knowledge about how changes in phosphorylation status coincide with AD progression, their findings also point to abnormal phosphorylation as important for quote-unquote normal brain aging. So, if you're like me and are also interested in what we can learn from studying the continuum of healthy and diseased aging brains, I think it's definitely worth checking out the full paper. Next up, we're going to switch gears away from phosphorylation to talk a bit about microtubules and inflammatory signaling following cell injury in the second paper of the episode, titled Microtubule Disruption Upon CNS Damage triggers mitotic entry via TNF signaling activation. This paper was published in the journal Cell Reports by first author Barros and last author Bosing from the University of Plymouth. With an invertebrate model, stress signaling pathways, and a foray into AD brain tissue for dessert, I think this paper probably has a bit of something for everyone. Surprisingly, our window into tau pathology here is actually the developing fruit fly, or Drosophila, embryo's central nervous system. The authors were interested in the downstream signaling pathway that is needed for early midline cells to divide after sustaining injury. 
they found that when injury disrupts microtubules, a non-canonical pathway involving TGF-beta activated kinase 1, or TAC1, and its target kinase, IK2, is required for early midline cells to enter mitosis. This resulted in nuclear translocation of the transcription factor dorsal, or NF-kappa-B, along with JRA-slash-JUN expression. Interestingly, human tau expression in midline cells also achieved the same effect of TAC1 phosphorylation. To wrap things up, they showed that the human TAC1, NF-kappa-B, and IK2 orthologs were upregulated in AD brains. So, there you have it. Another pathway with potential implications for AD pathology. In this third paper, we'll be talking about how certain pollutants in the environment might serve as risk factors for AD. The title of this paper is Developmental Perfluorooctane Sulfonic Acid, or PFOS, Exposure as a Potential Risk Factor for Late-Onset Alzheimer's Disease in CD1 Mice and SHSY5Y Cells. This was published in the journal Neurotoxicology by first author Basile and last author Zoya out of the University of Rhode Island and Qatar Biomedical Research Institute. The authors were interested in how exposure to perfluorooctane sulfonic acid, or PFOS as I'll refer to it from here on out, might contribute to AD-related pathology both in vitro and in vivo. For some background, PFOS is an extremely common pollutant used in metal plating and the production of firefighting foams that has been shown to be potentially neurotoxic and detrimental to not only humans but also the wider ecosystem. In this study, CD1 mice exposed to PFOS during development showed changes in cognitive and behavioral outcomes, including increased rearing and longer time spent traveling in an open field test. This was accompanied by increases in levels of APOE and GSK3-beta, the latter of which plays an important role in tau hyperphosphorylation. To dive deeper into the biochemical effects of PFOS exposure, they found increased levels of the amyloid precursor protein, tau, and tau phosphorylation in SHSY5Y, or sushi, cells treated with PFOS, and in differentiated sushi cells, increases in GSK3-beta expression. So, it appears that PFOS exposure could increase risk factors for sporadic AD, like GSK3-beta or APOE. When we study aging-related diseases, early life exposure often falls by the wayside. So I'm excited to see a study taking a stab at this. Hopefully there will be more insights to come. If you're interested in some of the topics touched on in this abstract, like behavioral changes in APOE, we have episodes and bibliographies you'll want to check out. Like Ellen's episode on cognitive and behavioral changes, which was number 198 this month. And we also publish a bibliography covering all the papers on APOE each month. You can find all of our bibliographies in the link in our show notes or on our website, aminder.com. For paper number four, we're back again to focusing on tau aggregation as the central topic. This paper is titled, Neurotoxicity of Oligomers of Phosphorylated Tau Protein Carrying Tauopathy-Associated Mutation is Inhibited by Prion Protein. This was published in the journal Biochemica e Biophysica Acta, Molecular Basis of Disease, by first author Nieznanska and last author Nieznanski, 
from the Nenki Institute of Experimental Biology of Polish Academy of Sciences. This paper touches on one of my favorite topics in the realm of tau-focused AD research, specifically teasing apart the intermediate tau species, or oligomers, that are currently thought to be more neurotoxic than their monomeric or insoluble fibril counterparts. The authors here developed a new method for generating tau oligomers by inducing aggregation of a mutant K18 tau fragment, and found that the toxicity and assembly of the resulting oligomers depends on their phosphorylation status. When phosphorylated, K18 oligomers adopt a global compared to a fibular conformation, and induce cell death in hippocampal neurons. Interestingly, introduction of the N1 prion protein fragment was cytoprotective. The authors suggest prion protein fragments could perhaps serve as therapeutic tools to combat the toxicity of aggregation-prone oligomers in tauopathies. Moving on to paper number five, we'll cover a topic near and dear to my heart, the discovery of new post-translational modifications. This paper is titled, SED7-mediated monomethylation is enriched on soluble tau in Alzheimer's disease. This was published in the journal Molecular Neurodegeneration by first author Beichmann and last author Ernhofer from the Biomed X Institute in Heidelberg, Germany, and the German-based biopharmaceutical company AbbVie. So, another day, another discovery of a brand new post-translational modification on tau. In this paper, the authors used mass spectrometry to identify a new lysine methylation event on tau extracted from the soluble fraction of AD brain tissue. While levels of methylated tau increased with increasing tau pathology, this post-translational modification was interestingly associated only with the soluble smaller tau species, and found mostly in the cell body. Directed by their proteomics data, as well as knockdown and inhibitor studies, they identified SED7 as the methyl transferase that modifies tau at two lysine residues, K132 and K130. The authors suggest that tau methylation might be important for directing tau to different areas of the cell, so definitely check out the rest of this paper for more information on that. Sticking on the subject of post-translational modifications, our sixth paper is titled The Structural, Functional, and Dynamic Effect of tau tubulin kinase 1 upon a mutation, a neurodegenerative hotspot. This paper was published in the Journal of Cellular Biochemistry by first author Ahmad and last author Gupta out of the International Center for Genetic Engineering and Biotechnology in New Delhi, India. This paper focuses on tau tubulin kinase 1, or TTBK1, as I'll refer to it. TTBK1 is a highly conserved protein kinase expressed in the brain that is responsible for many tau hyperphosphorylation events, making it potentially interesting in the case of AD and other tauopathies. The authors were interested in determining how genetic variations in TTBK1 might affect its structure and function, and used a variety of computational modeling methods to answer this question. They report that a R142Q mutation in TTBK1 is a major driver of structural instability and disrupts its normal functions. This paper uses a number of complex molecular dynamic simulations and other tools to assess this, and I didn't get into all of those details here, so I'd highly recommend checking out the full thing for more information on that if you're interested. 
And with that, this brings us to the end of our first subsection dealing with Tao pathology. The remaining sections are a bit shorter, so I think this is a great time to take a quick break. I'll see you soon. Hey listeners, I'm here to let you know Aminder is recruiting. If you're interested in joining us, shoot us an email at aminderpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Enjoy the rest of the episode. Welcome back. Let's jump right back into the science. Next up is the second half of our first section covering papers on tau pathology. This time, we'll be talking about studies with a greater focus on tau aggregation and seeding behavior, beginning in order with paper number seven. This paper is titled, ELISA Evaluation of Tau Accumulation in the Brains of Patients with Alzheimer's Disease, published in the Journal of Neuropathology and Experimental Neurology by first author Shinohara and last author Sato from Osaka University in Japan. The authors of this paper wanted to evaluate how antibodies against different regions of tau perform when detecting tau levels in AD brains and CSF using enzyme-linked immunosorbent assays, or ELISAs. Broadly, they found that tau accumulation occurred based on the stage of the disease, brain region being tested, and the solubility of the tau species being detected. Antibodies against tau's N-terminal perform better in control samples, but epitopes in the middle to C-terminal end were much more robust in AD samples, making it easier to distinguish between AD and controls. The authors also touch on how late-middle to C-terminal end epitopes better tracked with disease stage and tau spread across brain regions. So, based on what these authors report, if you're optimizing ELISAs to detect tau, I'd recommend checking out the full paper, which you can find in our bibliography. In paper number 8, we'll be talking more about neural inflammation in the context of tau seeding. The title of this paper is Tau Oligomer-Induced HMGB1 release contributes to cellular senescence and neuropathology linked to Alzheimer's disease and frontotemporal dementia. This paper was published in the journal Cell Reports by first author Guy Quad and last author Kayed out of the University of Texas Medical Branch at Galveston. In this paper, we'll be talking about tau oligomers and an exciting potential mechanism for how they might cause neuroinflammation during the aging process. The authors show that astrocytes, a type of glial cells, exposed to tau oligomers adopted a senescence-like or aged phenotype by expressing the protein high mobility group box 1 or HMGB1 to increase levels of pro-inflammatory markers like cytokines. Interestingly, treating cells exposed to tau oligomers with ethylpyruvate and glycerizic acid blocked this process and even reduced tau levels and neuroinflammation in a 12-month-old human tau-mouse model of tauopathy, improving their performance on measures of cognition. I think this is a really interesting pathway, and, like the authors state in their conclusion, I would be interested to see how it might be involved in other tauopathies, like frontotemporal dementia. If you're interested in learning more about neuroinflammation in AD, we have a wealth of previous episodes on this topic from previous months in our catalog, or simply head to our website to access our bibliographies on neuroinflammation. The last paper in this section of today's episode dives into the biochemical details that might underlie tau secretion and seeding. Paper number nine is titled Membrane Interaction and Disulfide Bridge Formation 
in the unconventional secretion of tau. This paper was published in the journal Bioscience Reports by first author Helene and last author Hutnen from the University of Helsinki in Finland. The prion-like cell-to-cell propagation of tau is a topic that I find really interesting, because we still know so little about the actual mechanisms that facilitate it. This paper focuses on a potential answer to this question by showing that the secretion of tau actually requires interactions with the cell membrane by forming disulfide bridges. When the authors mutated residues in tau that impact either of those interactions, cells secreted less tau, and tau was less able to penetrate lipid bilayers. They wrap up this story with some modeling, which shows that residues in tau's second and third microtubule binding domains may be important for its interaction with cell membranes. Since there are so many different splicing variants of tau, I wonder how each of these might behave in the experiments the authors describe here. Overall, very interesting stuff. This officially concludes the first portion of this episode, where we talked about papers focused on tau pathology. Now I'm going to dive right into our next section. In this last part, we will talk about papers that target tau for treatment development in AD. The first paper of this section, and paper 10 of this episode, is titled Heptahistidine Inhibits Tau Aggregation. This paper was published in the journal Chemical Neuroscience from the American Chemical Society by first author Kondo and last author Okazawa out of the Tokyo Medical and Dental University in Japan. This first paper's abstract is pretty short and sweet, so it's perfect for kicking off this last section of the show. Here, the authors found, to their surprise, that a compound called heptahistidine, or 7H, which is known to inhibit the interactions of the protein Q70 with Huntington proteins, also inhibits the aggregation of tau peptides in vitro. By adding a short transactivator sequence to heptahistidine, they were able to make it easier to deliver to iPSC-derived neurons, where it successfully decreased tau phosphorylation. It sounds like this could be a promising target for anti-aggregation drugs, so I hope to see more on it in the future. Like our last paper, paper number 11 also looks at reducing the levels of phosphorylated tau as a possible therapeutic strategy. This paper is titled, A Novel Dephosphorylation Targeting Chimera, Selectively Promoting Tau Removal in Tauopathies. It was published in the journal Signal Transduction and Targeted Therapy by first author Zhang and last author Wang from the Huazong University of Science and Technology. In this paper, the authors designed something called DEPTAC, or Dephosphorylation Targeting Chimera, whose job is to bring tau into contact with the tau phosphatase, PP2A, for dephosphorylation. They found that not only did DEPTAC do this successfully, but it also improved multiple measures of AD pathology, including microtubule assembly, neurite plasticity, and performance on learning and memory tasks in mice expressing a truncated and neurotoxic tau mutant called N368. The design of DEPTAC and the strategy to selectively remove or reduce hyperphosphorylated tau is quite cool, so be sure to check out the full paper for more details. For our last paper of the day, we come back around to glycogen synthase kinase 3-beta, or GSK3-beta, yet another kinase involved in tau hyperphosphorylation. Paper number 12 is titled, Design, Bioevaluation, and Molecular Dynamic Simulation of Novel GSK3-beta Inhibitors. This paper was published in the journal Molecular Informatics by first author Liu and last author Sun from the China Pharmaceutical University. 
Here, the authors performed a virtual screen for GSK-3 beta inhibitors. From nine potential hits, four of these inhibited GSK-3 beta in vitro and were administered without cytotoxicity in both PC-12 and sushi cells at varying concentrations. One of their compounds, compound 8, was the favorite of the authors due to its ability to inhibit GSK-3-beta and other qualities that make it a good drug candidate. And there you have it, a few new GSK-3-beta inhibitors now up for further study as potential therapeutics for hyperphosphorylated tau. And this brings us to the end of the episode. If you're still with us, thank you for sticking it out through my first episode hosting. If you're interested in hearing more on other topics in AD, we publish a new episode each day of the week, Monday through Friday, so there's plenty more content for you to explore. For our July series, we will have just a couple more episodes, and then we'll take a short break before our August series starts in early October. Remember that all the papers I mentioned today are available in our numbered bibliography, which you can find in the show notes or on our website. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us a review or subscribing on Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you prefer for your podcast consumption. It really helps us to reach more listeners out there who will benefit from our show, so thank you in advance. You can find us on all the social medias, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. We are actively looking for more people to join our team, so if you think you might be interested, please let us know by sending an email with your CV to aminderpodcast at gmail.com. To close out, I'd like to give a special thanks to our sorting team, who do the heavy lifting of categorizing all of these abstracts. Ellen Kay for editing my script, Michelle for editing the episode, Ellen for reviewing the episode, Lara for the bibliography, and Sarah for making the word cloud. Also, a big thank you to our sponsor, the CCNA, and to you, the listener, for tuning in. With that, I hope you've found this podcast both useful and accessible, and I hope you can join me again for another episode next month. See you again soon.